I delivered the following message at a chapel service for a college football team. My text was Luke 23, 39 to 43. I argue in this message that the world really has only two religions, not thousands. They are represented by the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus. One is the regular religion of mankind that leads only to death. The other is the true faith in Christ that leads to eternal life. I was introduced by the spiritual advisor to the athletic program, Coach Brian Cabral. I hope this message is a blessing to you. Professor and I uh, met a long time ago, I don't know how long ago, um, while I was coaching here. Uh, I went out on campus to uh, meet some Christian professors. And uh, my trainer said, uh, did you hear about the professor that's, you know, uh, being persecuted for his faith on campus? And so that's how I reached out to uh, uh, Professor Mitchell. And I really just wanted to pray with him uh, through that. And we became great friends. Um, the unique thing about him was he's had hundreds of guys like you in his classroom. So my money's on him, if there's any debate, okay? But um, um, he's been a good friend of mine. And uh, well, anyway, let's pray. So Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for, this, for these men. Uh, thank you for what you want to do uh, in this time <laughs> with these men. And so um, I just pray that uh, you would open the eyes and ears of their hearts and of their minds to you uh, in your word and in the words of uh, uh, Professor Mitchell. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, my brother. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure getting to know Coach Cabral. Uh, we've had uh, great, great times of fellowship. He used to come up and he would meet me. I met him in the Sewell Dining Hall. Any of you in the Sewell Dining Hall? I used to have lunch there every day. I did probably 15, 20 years. I met with uh, students of all kinds. Lots and lots of players had lunch there. As some of you may know, uh, uh, Tyler Wright was the number one draft pick. I don't know if you remember him or not. Uh, the the big offensive lineman from Buena Vista. Nate Silver. I have lunch with Nate a lot. Really enjoyed meeting with them, arguing with them. With Nate, I kind of went easy because I was afraid he might air mail me out the window. And, uh, anyway, it was a, a wonderful experience. And, and Coach Carroll and I would see pray just about every day. And I used to go down for Bible studies down in what was then known as Dow Ward. I guess it still exists, doesn't it? I, and uh, I met Coach Hagan down there. So I've known him for a long, long time. I keep waiting for him to improve, but he never does. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, we've had some wonderful times of fellowship together. So thank you, guys. Appreciate it. See, we have Jesus with us today. Uh, that's great. <laughs> Uh, uh, nobody gives you a hard time, do they? Uh, what position do you play? Is it hard to run in sandals? Wonder about that. Are you from Texas? 
Colorado. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you the Cherry Creek kid? Yeah. Okay, you had your hair back last time when yeah. I saw you. I used to tell girls to leave their hair, and I told girls to leave their hair the same way. First day in class, I can remember who they were. They need to leave it that way for about two months because they changed their hair or wear a hat or something like that. Then I don't know who they are. I had a kid from Texas who looked like you. And um, it's sort of, he's actually better looking, but uh, he, uh, his name was Christian. I'm not making that up. His name was Christian. And I said, Christian's a guy who uh, looks like Jesus but doesn't act like him. So, and he had. A, you know what he would do is he would take a cable and tie it between trees, right out on and, and Colorado Christian. He'd have a, and he'd walk on that cable. It was the weirdest thing to see. And I said, Christian, you're supposed to be walking on water, uh, but you're always walking. On water. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I guess I just have to live with. It. I'm still in touch with him. I have a really good relationship with him. But yeah, that was neat. So it was John, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, from Cherry Creek. What a tragedy. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, I've had more creakers, really, than any other high school ever in my classroom in my life. Uh, and they always thought they were better than everybody else, <laughs> but they weren't. <laughs> you know, so anyway, uh, next verse was Fairview, from right there in Boulder, the Canites. Yeah. Really glad to see you guys. <laughs> glad that you were here. Now, I have been to all of your chapels. And, uh, but I have not really had a chance to meet you until today. I met a few of you. I met uh, Trustin and Christian a couple of weeks ago. I, I actually, for the first time ever, I got to know your coaches a lot better than you. I'm leading a coaches Bible study on Thursday mornings. And so uh, that's been a, a real treat. I really, uh, really enjoyed getting to know that. Uh, and, uh, in the past, I'd done a couple of coaches' Bible studies over the years. I taught at Boulder for 25 years and at Colorado Christian for 13. So I taught a long time and a lot of students in the classroom uh, and lots of players. I first got to know the football world as a, um, as a professor, as I met players. And I would teach an 8 o'clock class and players would come in after two hours of lifting. Uh, I don't know if they still do that to you. Not, but guys would come in, and I, as I got to know the players, one of the things, the conclusion I came to is that playing football at the University of Colorado is just really hard. It's just really, really hard. Being a professor at the University of Colorado is really easy, and being a player is really hard. And then I got to know uh, the football side as a parent. Uh, I had a couple of kids who played college football. One of them played against you unsuccessfully. And so I had a kid who played in Folsom Field, which I never thought would happen. Uh, my wife said, none of your birth kids will ever play football. You're too much of a genetic anchor. But if we adopt, uh, which we did, and two of my three sons played college football, can you believe I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it had happened. And I never told anybody I was the dad. It was really fun to just sit there and listen to people mouth off about my kids and have no idea who I was. I, I really, I, for once in my life, I got to be a fly on the wall, Nico. It was really neat just to listen to these people. Uh, so somebody ought to check that kid's birth certificate. And I thought, I remember I holding this kid in one arm. He's now 6'4", weighs 300 pounds, so I can no longer do that. But uh, 
but it was now. But I got to know it as a parent, got it from that side. So as a parent and as a professor, I've come to know a little bit about your world, and uh, it has been uh, instructive to me and helpful. Another thing I've discovered is that people's spiritual needs are all the same. Coaches, players, normal kids who lived in Seoul. Uh, Jack, there is such a thing as a normal kid in Seoul. Uh, Jack, our videographer, lives in Seoul. So, uh, and is a Cubs fan, so he's known a life of suffering. Uh, anyway, Jack, thanks for being here today. And Seoul, neat, neat, beautiful place, a place I've really enjoyed. Uh, would you, uh, I'd like for you to get the text in front of you. Anybody have, nobody has Bibles anymore. Take out your phones or your tablets or whatever. Christian, do you have anything like that? No, I'm a Oh, come on, Christian. What a failure. Um, let's see if I can move my phone here. I do. Uh, you can look on. Uh, it's Evan, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Evan, like Christian, look on with you. He's a Texan. I really want him to get this. Uh, I found Texans harder to deal with. Boy, there's a bunch of you at CU. You're as bad as Cherry Creek. Uh, we have all kinds of kids come up from Dallas. And uh, they're learning to speak the language pretty well. I got so I could understand what they were saying after a couple of semesters. Um, I want to read an account in the New Testament in Luke 23. Now, here's a weird thing. I used to, Luke 23, I... Uh, I used to um, assign the Gospel of Luke to my students in Western Civ. And the reason I did that is because the Bible is by far the most influential book of all time. Nothing's close. And virtually everything in your world was created by ideas people got from the Bible. And I've written a book on that. And I could elaborate on it. I won't today. But I... The Bible is so powerful, so I thought I'd have kids in Western civilization, since Western civilization is a creation of the Bible and of Jesus Christ. I thought I'd have to read something about it, so I'd have to read Luke. Now, some kids at CU really knew a lot about the Bible, and some kids didn't know a thing. I had a kid ask me, uh, it was an assignment I took from the Old Testament, he says, what is this book of Job thing? You know, the book of Job in the Old Testament. And I said, it's right before Pizons. <laughs> uh, it took him a while to find And he didn't know the numbering system. Like, what's this 23, Luke 23? What's Luke and what's 23? And I explained to him how verses work and chapters and all that kind of thing. But some kids really knew the Bible well. So there was, it was really uneven. Uh, they're just like the faculty. Some faculty know something about Christianity. And some of them don't know a darn thing. So uh, I found both of those to be the case. But anyway, they would read this story. And I want to read it to you. It's Luke 23, 39. Everybody got it? Everybody got it? Yeah, Evan, make sure the Christian can see this. Um, everybody else? JB, your boy there, I want to make sure that he has the text in front of him. I want you to be able to see the text. Because okay. I know, as an educator, that if you hear something and see something, you're far more likely to remember it. You, it, it sticks in your brain a lot better. This is an interesting story. It's an account that is only found in Luke. Any of you ever been by a church that had three crosses out front? Have you ever seen that? They had three crosses in the front? Well, it comes from this passage. Because Jesus was not crucified by himself. He was crucified with two other guys. And it's from this text that we get that. 
One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, if you've been around the Christian faith at all, you've heard that story before, haven't you? You've heard that before. But I want you to think about it a little bit more today because these five verses summarize all the religion that has ever existed in the history of mankind. People say, oh, there are lots of different religions. I'm arguing today there are only two. There's only two religions, and they're both here. And they both have a representative. The first criminal rails at Jesus and says, if you're really who you say you are, then I want you to do something for me. That wasn't an unreasonable request, was it? Get me down off this cross. Uh, the Persians had designed a crucifixion a thousand years before this. And the purpose of crucifixion was to kill you, but to kill you slowly and painfully. It was designed as, uh, sometimes it was called a torture stick that they crucified you on. The whole purpose was for you to agonize as long as possible. Sometimes the Roman, uh, Roman soldiers would be merciful to a victim, and they would use an iron bar and break his legs so that he could no longer support his weight, and he would quickly suffocate while on the cross from just from his upper body weight. Uh, but it was designed to be horribly painful and a, a terrible, cruel, and unusual punishment, to use the words of the Constitution. So it's not an unreasonable request, but this guy represents all the religion that has ever existed. And the religion that he represents is the one that says, if you're God, give me what I want. Now, virtually all religion is like that. If you're God, give me what I want. Almost all of what passes under the name of Christianity is that. If you're God, give me what I want. I was in Kathmandu, Nepal. And I was at a... There are two temples that sit together. One is Hindu, one is Buddhist. Nepal is more Hindu than uh, India is. And all they do is burn bodies there. It's pretty depressing. But um, this Buddhist temple, there was a guy there who was uh, going through his prayer ritual. And he had, he had hauled to the place uh, like a piece of plywood. It was like four by six, something you'd get at Home Depot. And he had it down. And he would, and I can't really do this because I'm not physically that able anymore, but he would get down to his knees, then he would go prostrate all the way out, and then he would slide his knees down the board so he was lying completely flat then he would slide his knees back up under him. He would raise up to his knees, and then he would stand up. And he did that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. He had even worn grooves in the piece of wood. You could just see the marks where his knees would slide back and forth. Now this was a guy who's trying to get whatever deities are out there to give him what he Every Christian goes through times like that. Even if you're a real Christian, 
you still have times when you basically say, God, give me what I want. And if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to be mad at you. At a time in my life, it was like that. I really, really wanted something. God forbade me. He didn't give it to me, and I was mad at him for about a year. Have you ever been mad at God? If you haven't been mad at God, you're going to be at some point in the future. And I was mad at God. I, until I realized I was being an idiot and finally came out of it. And through the help of a loving wife and other godly people, I was able to emerge from that funk. Uh, but I was mad at God because he didn't give me what I wanted. I was just like this first guy. I was just like this first criminal. <clears throat> He was mad then because Jesus didn't give him, give him what he wanted. Now, the other guy is really interesting. The second guy represents real faith. But he underwent a conversion experience on the cross. There are two other passages in the New Testament that describe the scene. There's just one verse in each in Mark and Matthew. And in each of those, it just say, all it says is that the two criminals ridiculed Jesus. So both of them did. But by the time we get to this passage, this guy has undergone a change of heart. Now, notice what he says. We don't know. We have no idea what his name is. We don't know much about him. Uh, but we do know that he did know a few things about Jesus. He came to a few correct conclusions. And he starts by saying, he begins by speaking to the other criminal. By the way, we don't know what these guys did. The word for criminal in the original is evildoer. So we don't know what they did. But anyway, he says to the other one, Stop being a fool. You're being an idiot. You're lecturing this man who has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. I don't know how he knew Jesus was innocent. I don't know how he knew that. But he knew that Jesus did not deserve what was happening to him. And he says, we do. We're getting what we deserve. No man ever comes to Christ. No one ever enters into a right relationship with God until they have an I'm an idiot moment. You have to come to some point where you realize, I am lost, I'm a sinner. I was talking to one of your staff members just before this time, and he told me about that time in his life when he came to the realization that how lost he was and how much help he needed, and he turned to God for help. He's got some of your staff. Had that experience in his life, but he had to come to that time in his life. He had to come when that happened to him. And somehow it happens to the second criminal. He comes to the point where he realizes... This man's righteous. I'm not. Neither are you, he says to the other criminal. He says, we're getting what we deserve. You never can come to God unless you come to the point in your life when you say, I'm getting what I deserve. You never can come to God as a victim. Oh, I'm a victim of oppressive forces outside me. Never, that never works. You have to admit your own culpability, your own weakness, your own sin. You have to do that before you can come to God. So then, he does something kind of interesting. He turns to Jesus. Yes, uh, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I, one of the things that I thought was interesting about this 
is this guy had come to the conclusion that Jesus was going to a different kingdom from him. Did you notice that? Jesus is going somewhere that I'm not going. He's going there, I'm going here. Now, in the first century world, it might have been Jesus is going to the Elysian fields. Remember in Gladiator, uh, that uh, Russell Crowe uses that phrase, talking to his men. He says, if you wake up and you're in the Elysian fields, you're dead! <laughs> uh, that's one of the lines in that movie. Uh, from Greek culture, when you died, you went into the Stygian darkness. The black hole of death. And that's probably what this guy thought was going to happen. I'm headed to the Stygian darkness. Jesus is headed to a different kingdom from me. <clears throat> now, what Jesus, what Jesus says to him is very interesting. But what he says to Jesus is fascinating to me. Now, by the way, the most important event of any man's life the most important thing that ever occurs in your life is when you meet Jesus, what you decide to do. Now this guy met Jesus under rather unfortunate circumstances, wouldn't you say? But still, his response to Jesus is the most important thing in his life. What do you do when you meet Jesus? Now the one guy, the first criminal, when he met Jesus, he wanted to wring everything he could for himself out of it. And the other guy realized, no, there's more to it than that. And he appealed to Jesus. But it's interesting, his appeal. Notice what he doesn't say. He, says, he doesn't say, Lord, when you go into your kingdom, take me with you. Do you notice that? He didn't say that. What does he say? Remember me. And I've, I've just wondered about that my whole life. Why is that all he says? He's speaking to Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, and he's got some idea of how great he is. This is your chance, John! Jesus is right there! And you get to ask him anything you want. That just is funny what he asks him. He says, remember me. That's all he says. Christians all he says is remember me. You think he would ask him all of you? He just says, remember me. Well, what Jesus says to him, trust him is the greatest message that any human being could ever hear. This is the greatest thing you could ever hear. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And you want to hear that, don't you? Now, not today. Trust me, I get it. No, Lord, not today. I've got to play this game this afternoon. I've got to go to college and get married for his family. But at some point, you want to hear this. You want to hear these words. You will be with me in paradise. How many of you have grown up going to church fairly often? Okay, quite a few of you have. All right, now you, like me, I grew up in church too. And I would look around at various people in my church. And I would say, I'm not sure about Deacon Jones and Mrs. Smith and all that. I don't know if they die, I'm not sure where they'd be. You know, have you ever thought that? Oh, sure you have. The people in your church? Sure you've thought that. Well, there may be some questions. 
about Deacon Jones, Mrs. Smith. But you, you know who there's no question about? This guy. We know where this guy is. He is with Jesus Christ. And how do we know that? Jesus said he was. Now I want you to think for a minute. Does this guy seem like a very likely candidate for heaven? Now, at some point, and you've already done this in your mind, you maybe want to get out a, a notepad and make a list of people who are unlikely candidates for heaven. Now, you'd put quite a few of your, few of your teammates on it, wouldn't you? All of your coaches. Um, unlikely candidates for heaven. You need to put yourself on that list as an unlikely candidate for heaven. What's interesting to me here is all this guy said was remember me. All he said, shorter than a snap count. Just says remember me. And you know, that's all it took. That was enough. So getting into heaven is not complicated from an intellectual standpoint. But it's hard from a heart standpoint, isn't it? To admit your need, to admit your weakness, to admit your vulnerability. You guys have lived your lives glorying in your strength. It's a strength that I envy and wanted. And God gave me a body that is perfect for a college professor. Uh, I went to the University of Wyoming. I went out for football in college, but they said they already had one. <laughs> no, that's just an old joke. You have to think about it for a minute. Um, yeah, Jack, you got it. Good for you. Yeah, Jack, you know, you know how that is. I, but your strength doesn't get you to heaven, guys. It's your humility before Jesus Christ that gets you there. And this is a powerful, powerful message. Now, by the way, this is the most powerful message of all time. It's the most powerful message in human history. Well, it's been my pleasure to speak with you. I hope that as you meet Jesus Christ, you meet him often, don't you? You met him in church, you met him with friends, uh, you met him with speakers like myself. I pray you'll just turn your hearts to him. Give your hearts to him. I'd let him take you on the astonishing journey he has plotted out for you. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for these men. And I thank you that they're here. I thank you that they have been confronted with you at a time in their life uh, when they can make life-changing decisions. And I pray you draw them to yourself. Lord, help them to be like the second to humble themselves before you, to rise up to defend you, and to give their hearts to you. Thank you for them. I pray you keep them safe this day. Uh, Lord God, according to your will, grant them success. Bless them mightily. And may these years be really fruitful ones for them. We pray in the holy name of Christ. And all my brothers said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.